Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Outside Perspective. I'm your host, Adam Meredith. We have another day in front of us, which is a beautiful thing. Anytime you can wake up and do what you want to do, it's a good fucking day. And honestly, if you're waking up and you're doing what you don't want to do, it's still a good day because you woke up. You could have not done that. Yes, that is true. I sometimes hate when people tell me that shit, though. I woke up today, and uh, with two blessings, both of my eyes. What the fuck does that mean? It's hard to see whenever you're uh, you're broken, struggling, or uh, you know you have a loved one in the hospital, or uh, you know your fucking tires flat. Sometimes it's hard to see the good, but it is really important to see the good and. Having a practice of gratitude, just saying, you know, man, things might not be perfect, but I am still very appreciative of this car that gets me to work, uh, this refrigerator that holds my food, that you, you the fact that you have food, uh, just to have a place to sleep, man. After traveling um, quite a bit, this past year and as I continue to travel I mean you see a ton of people out there who don't have places to live or these basic these basic necessities that a lot of us take for granted so super appreciative of that and you know what else I'm very very grateful for all of you tuning in today so thank you so much if you haven't already please go hit that subscribe button also, leave a rating, leave a review. These things help the podcast out so much. I cannot thank you guys enough for doing so. It really does mean the world to me. And I actually want to read a review to you. This is uh, from Zach Rudder. That's my homie over there. Okay. Um, best thing since Rogan is what it's, it's titled. It says, Adam has quickly become one of my favorite podcast hosts in the world. He keeps things very entertaining and interesting. The ride to work is never complete without outside perspective. Keep up the hard work. Hey, Zach, I appreciate that, brother. I'm working hard. I'm trying to uh, put out great content. And, uh, dude, just the fact that you take the time to listen and you took the time to write a review, man, it means the world to me. So thank you, brother. Um, all the folks out there listening, man, if you could also do the same, go leave a rating, leave a review. It would mean the world to me, and it will help the podcast grow. I'm just so taken back to see, you know, how far we've come with this, and it's only been, you know, ah, shit, by the time this comes out, it should be seven months. We should be at the end of our seven month, seventh month of the show airing, and, uh, man, I'm just going to keep on uh, – I'm just going to keep bringing you guys good content. That's that's my goal is just to keep having interesting people on, keep having better and better conversations, and uh, see what fucking happens from there. So thank you all for listening. Now this show is brought to you by my friends over at Jumbo Superfoods. Are you guys having issues with pain? Are you having issues sleeping? Are you having anxiety? Whatever the case may be, I believe that CBD can help you. I really, really do. CBD, cannabidol, one of the many compounds found in the cannabis plant. It is non-psychoactive. 
You do not have to worry about failing a drug test. You do not have to worry about getting high or altering your consciousness. That's not what this compound does. But what it has been shown to do, it, it does have anti-inflammatory properties, which is the root cause of so many autoimmune disorders. It has a lot of pain relief uh, benefits to it, as well as it can help with uh, mood regulation. So if you suffer from anxiety, it can help kind of bring you down. It does also aid in sleep and recovery. I personally use CBD every day. I use Jumbo Superfoods Muscle Bomb, put that on my joints and my sore muscles at the end of the day. But I also use their spray every morning. I like to use their cinnamon spray in my coffee. Tastes phenomenal. I love it. Everything they use is premium, high quality ingredients. They send everything off to a third party lab to be tested for purity so you know what you are getting. That is so important. I cannot stress enough the importance of knowing where you get your supplements from because at the end of the day, supplementation is not a regulated industry. So it is vital that you know where you are getting your your supplements from and it's and it's so important to know where they are getting their their like their ingredients from. So Go over to jombocbd.com, use the code OUTSIDE, you will save 20% off your entire order. Guys, they have geese that you can cook with, they have sprays, they have drops, they have bombs. It's all phenomenal. I love all of their products, and I think you guys will too. So one more time, go over to jombocbd.com, you can use the code OUTSIDE at checkout and you will save 20% off your entire order. All right, my guest today is JC Sabala. JC is a comedian here in the St. Louis area. He's traveled over the he's, he's traveled around the country doing comedy and it's a small world. Let me tell you something. I, I've talked to C, uh, JC about this some, and I think I mentioned it on the podcast. But I first, I love comedy. It's it's one of my favorite things. I love going to live shows. It's by far one of the best ways to spend an evening. I mean, go get, uh, you know, go get a drink or a couple of drinks or you know some food, and you sit down and you're just having a fucking good time. Assuming the com- <laughs> the comedian is good, and the very first comedy show I ever went to was here in St. Louis at the Funny Bone, which is a local club here, and um, I actually live right around the corner from now. I went there, and JC was the MC for the night, and I was like, dude, this guy is fucking hilarious, and I've seen him a few different times over the years now, and then the small world part comes in because I later found out that he actually used to train jujitsu. Uh, at, at my school. Not, I don't, actually, he trained at our headquarters, but in the same jujitsu family. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool just to have that connection. And uh, I was super excited to sit down with JC. He's a super chill dude, just like myself. So uh, I think you guys are going to like this conversation. Uh, I'm going to stop my rambling and uh, let's get to the conversation. So JC Sabala, folks.
They do have headsets. JC Sabala. I don't play video games either. Were you were you a gamer growing up? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I played like like Super Nintendo. Like the last the last system I ever bought um, was a Dreamcast. Remember those? Yes, that was um, that wasn't around for too long. Yeah, that's pro- that's <laughs> why I kind of got out of it. I was just like, man, I don't want to keep <laughs> dropping money, like, cause they're not cheap. No, dude, they're not. And then they just put a new one out anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was always my uh, deterrent for getting games like uh, like Madden. I'm like, they're just gonna bring a new one out next year. Why the fuck am I gonna buy this one? And it's just this perpetual cycle to where I would never buy it. Yeah. <laughs> they're always putting them shits out and who has time i don't have any time anymore to play video games i talk to guys who spend hours and hours on games and uh, i mean if that's your jam then good for you and if you're on like twitch or something making mm-hmm. some money doing it then that's cool too but fuck who has time i mean i'd, I'd like to have time but it's, it's at the same time it's just like well i've got other stuff going on right right you know i mean your dad you yeah work, you work full-time working full-time i'm a dad and then i do stand-up comedy yeah so. yeah by far one of the best comedians in the city. How long have you been, how long have you been doing comedy, dude? Uh, almost eight years now. What made you get into it? Uh, it's something I had always wanted to do. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can remember being like seven years old and wanting to do stand-up comedy. Yeah. Um, like I remember like I wa- always wanted to make people laugh. Um, we ended up When we moved to Kansas City, I was born in Oklahoma. Uh, we moved there because my grandfather was ter- terminally ill. Okay. So we moved up there cl- to be close to my grandparents. And uh, so I was spending a lot of time over my grandparents' house. And it was always like a real somber mood, obviously. Yeah. You know, you've got an ill grandfather. And that was when Comedy Central came out. It was called the Comedy Channel back then. This was 1988. Oh, shit. And I was like constantly like watching it. And they, it was basically just... Uh, kind of like a constant medley of different like clips of uh comedians bits they did because cable was kind of the wild west then it was like you know yeah yeah they were just kind of making it up as they go yeah there nobody was doing like 30 minute specials like mm-hmm. they do now or if, if there were specials it was the big people right i mean yeah that stuff would end up like on um like hbo yeah it'd be on hbo or there'd be like a comedy album or like Eddie Murphy Raw was actually in theaters. Yeah. Like people forget how big Eddie Murphy was in stand up because he only did two specials. He's fucking huge, dude. But he was like the Beatles of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> he was C- comedians enormous. today still talk about how good he was. Yeah. Is. A lot of his stuff wouldn't fly today because, you know, people um sensibilities have changed. Yeah. You know what's what's considered acceptable to say and all that. Yeah, but, man. So a lot of it wouldn't fly today, but if you can, if you can separate uh, some of um, you know your pretenses a little bit, and you can just put yourself in the moment that it was being said, yeah, it's pretty brilliant. Absolutely, dude. People are so fucking sensitive. Um, yeah, yeah, they are. Just have a sense of humor. It doesn't have to be so serious, and especially <laughs> <laughs> like, expe- like you can take the most serious topic. And you can still joke about it. And, yeah. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily believe that. It just means that, I mean, you're just fucking around. You're just being silly. Well, I think, uh, like, a lot of times people forget, like, that's how some people work through certain pain and hurt. Yeah. Right? Is they develop, it, not necessarily a defense mechanism, but it's it's kind of their way of coping with 
pains that they've had um, either growing up or just through their lifetime. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, we <laughs> we are definitely in the age of outrage culture. Yeah. And everything gets kind of kind of blown out of proportion, um, which can be really frustrating. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, okay, the way things were weren't perfect. <laughs> right? True. Um, I, you know, this, I don't necessarily believe that this is the right route to go, but I also think that sometimes it's like a pendulum. So eventually it's going to push too far and there's going to be enough backlash that brings us back to center. And we'll probably be in a better place at that point. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, it sucks. <laughs> it's like, like the they're like there's so many people that they just make up facts. <laughs> oh my god, dude! You're like what? <laughs> people just trying to find reasons to be outraged. Yeah, and then the, I mean that's the the en vogue thing. I think that's yeah. like it's it's just like who can be a bigger victim? Um, and you know, I, I think a lot of it is uh, a generational thing as well. Like, um, you know, like there's people that a lot of younger people that they like, oh, my God, this was a tragedy. I'm like, you haven't you you don't even remember 9-11. So you don't know what a tragedy is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, OK, somebody mommy forgot to cut off this the crust on your sandwich okay it's not so perfect it, triangles jc like yeah. how the fuck am i supposed to eat this and that's and some of that is just you know they haven't lived long enough to experience to experience enough of life to be like to make that delineation of like okay no this is actually something to be outraged about this is you looking to be important <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of social justice warriors just trying to find a cause to latch onto, mm -hmm. and then uh, just be right. Everybody wants to be right. Well, no, I don't think everybody wants to be right. I think everybody wants to have everybody say that they're right. I don't think there is. M they're actually concerned about being the person in the right. <laughs> you. Oh, I get what you're saying. I yeah. think they just want people to agree with them. Right. Yeah. Like I want to have an true or not. Yeah, I want to have an opinion. And I don't care if, you know, it's if, <laughs> if it's completely factual or not. It's like if you don't agree with me, then you're the enemy. Right. Like it's <laughs> well, what gets me is whenever um, you'll see. I mean, just in today's climate, you'll see like people on like the on either side. But I think it's specifically with a lot of the social different, like the the social issues that are getting pushed by like the far left, where mm -hmm. they completely ignore science and say there's no genders. Yeah. Or or uh, like in Canada, where it's illegal to to uh, to not call people by the the proper whatever pronoun that they want to be called. Uh, it's it's fucking it blows my mind. It's there's there's science to this, but you're just going to completely negate all of the facts. Yeah, I think I think it, I think uh, the far left tends to be the the one that's most outspoken about it. But I think there's at the, least right now. Yeah. And I think uh, I think it kind of runs the spectrum on it, though, too. Cause, yeah. Um, what I, is that me? <laughs> my bad, dude. Let me turn that off. Oh my goodness, you're ruining the show. <laughs> but uh like uh it's funny like when you see like really like right wing 
uber religious people and um like you like there's there's arguments there like they ignore ignore science as well right like when they start talking about creationism and things you see like it on that. both sides yeah so it's funny that they both like well apparently you don't believe in science <laughs> they both say that about each other <laughs> it's like well it's like well yeah when it fits my agenda <laughs> of course right. i believe it then then yeah absolutely and then they'll start calling other people pseudoscientists yeah yeah and so i mean it it is on both sides but it's like sometimes it's just like man just let other people like let other people live their life and if it's not affecting you Go on and live your best life. Like, wh- why are you getting involved? Yeah, it's so it's so <laughs> simple. People get so outraged, so so outraged. And um, even from just like take the political side, like those groups out of it, fucking vegans or yeah. CrossFitters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people man. get so dogmatic about their shit, and they just want to attack other people. Yeah, like, and I just don't get that. I'm like. Because, I mean, I I used to be really, really into fitness, right? And yeah, man. You're like a sexy model, dude. <laughs> Once upon a time. You're in gay bars everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was also in magazines, man. <laughs> Which kind but, of magazines? You know, I never got paid for any of those 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 bars using my likeness. Really? They, they just, they, they think- find it on the internet. Yeah, and then they print it up and they put it in some sort of frame or whatever. Could you do anything about that? If you, I mean, is it even worth it? But uh, it's not. It's not worth it. Um, and also, like, what do I care? Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, who cares? Yeah, I saw and, that and, out that was hilarious, and also, though. I'm not the one that actually owns the copyright to them. Even though it's my likeness, yeah, it's the photographer that took the picture that owns the copyright anyway. Yeah, so they could go do something if they really wanted to, but it's kind of. Like, it's just kind of like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's not I mean, that it's, big of a deal. it's not like you're gonna buy your dream house off of this. Like, where's my twenty bucks, pal? Like, They're probably not even making any money off of it anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I just don't care about. It. But yeah, people, people are really dogmatic when it comes to uh, when it comes to their fitness and everything. And like, I always had people coming up and asking me stuff. And I'm like, well, here's what works for me, because I don't think it's a one size fits all approach. Yeah. And I don't get. Like for some people, like if if like like there's some people that are like have started Orange Theory, yeah, and like that's their thing. It's like you know what, this has been perfect for me. the The system makes sense to me and it works for me. I'm like, well, great. If it's working, do it. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't, yeah. I don't find a need to be like, well, actually, you should be trying to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get. I mean, I'm guilty as the next person of getting like super excited whenever I like something. And I mm-hmm. like, dude, you should try this. You should try this. Like I'm always pushing like Jumbo CBD on on everybody. I'm like, dude, just try this bomb. I fucking love it. it makes me feel mm-hmm. great. But um, whenever people start acting like you're in the wrong because you don't also like what they like, that's yeah, when, that's when it gets kind of weird. Yeah, and like I just kind of write people off like that. Yeah, just kind of like okay. Well. Yeah, does so does does the whole current climate of just people wanting to be outraged? It's like a sport now. Just how outraged mm-hmm. can we be? Has that affected how you write in your comedy or anything like that? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I when I started, you know, you, you you try to talk about what you know, and for me, a lot of that had to do with growing up biracial yeah right and um 
just the different experiences that came with it, not really ever fitting in with a racial group. Yeah. Right. No, what's the number one question you get? What are you? Oh, yeah. I get fucked, dude. What I are you? That. Human. I'm yeah. human, bro. I'm a, yeah, what are you? Okay, smartass. <laughs> where are you from? Like, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> like, where were you born? Oklahoma. <laughs> it's like, what do you want? It's like, are you asking about my ethnicity? I'll tell you. I don't have a problem with that. Just use the right terminology. Yeah. Like, I don't get offended by it. Um, I mean, you just kind of get used to it. You kind of... I mean, when you grow up with it, every every you're time. just used to it. And, like, when people say, like, you know, the, the term, like, microaggressions or whatever, I'm like, <laughs> like maybe if I was soft. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't it didn't really impact me. Right. Like, it's just one of those things, like, you know, it's not, it's not my problem that you're approaching this ignorantly. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's not my problem. That's your problem. I don't think it's a big problem. You just don't know. That's what ignorance is. Yeah. Is a lack of knowledge. And you can just, you know, now if somebody deliberately keeps doing it at, like in a disrespectful way, now we're we're completely shifting the paradigm. Right. Now, now we're into stupidity. Now we're into yeah. something else for sure. It's not ignorance anymore. Right. Yeah. But I, I mean, human beings by nature, I think, are ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. And I can forgive that. <laughs> like look i've i'm pretty ignorant myself sometimes yeah you know because i didn't know any better or whatever like it it took learning and to overcome that ignorance right <laughs> i had a wrestling coach growing up that would say i'm as ignorant as the day is long which is true because it's just like you said it's just not knowing something mm -hmm. you know what i mean and there's a lot of shit i don't know and the more i learn the more i realize i don't know <laughs> Like, I don't know a whole bunch of shit. Like, right. I, I know a lot about a few things, but then there's a ton of other shit I don't know. I mean, it, that was one thing, like, like when I, as I, as I was getting older, especially, like, in my 20s, like, it's not as much now, but, I, like, I remember, like, consciously thinking I can look back every year over the past year, like, let's say it was, like, after New Year's, like, wow, I learned like so much more this year and I thought I had it all figured out going into the year. Yeah. I learned I didn't know shit. Right. And then it happens again the next year. Right. And then it happens again the next year. Exactly. And then it just after a while you're just like, no, you're always learning. Always. You have to. Like if you're not then what are you doing? Well I think you know, I think uh that just like with a lot of this outrage culture and everybody like really like digging their heels in, a lot of that has to do with youthful exuberance and not knowing that they don't know shit yet. Right. I mean, that. I think every young person goes through that. 100%. <laughs> I can remember being... Uh, and they think, they think they know everything. Everything. But they don't. Yeah. But they don't know that they don't because they haven't been knocked down by life yet. Right. Life will knock you down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can remember being 18 and just thinking, I'm a grown man. <laughs> Mom, I'm grown. I'm going to go fucking... Out in the world, and, do, and then two years later, I had a kid, and then I quickly realized how grown I wasn't. <laughs> I had to grow <laughs> up real fast. Yeah, man. So <clears throat> I had to deal with a lot of that, too, like being biracial, like growing up, just always getting that question. Like, what's, what's your ethnicity? Um, what's your ethnic name? Just black and white. That's so, what I thought. Yeah, I, um, I took that, uh, the ancestry, I did the ancestry uh, DNA test. I want to try the 23andMe one to see if it's like any different, but... Uh, I've read that those are... Um, not as accurate as advertised. 
Yeah, I wouldn't. It's what I've been reading. Up yeah. Now. Well, the first time I, well, the first results that I got back were just scattered all over the place. And then I guess just as more and more people have done it, I guess they've been able to, uh, they have more data now so they can kind of make it more accurate to a degree. Yeah. So I got new results back in that they sent out and uh, those were pinned down much, much more. So how it seems pretty right. I don't know. I'm, I'm basically just from like, England and I think like the Congo for the most part. Mm. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty interesting. I just think it's a government ploy to get all of our DNA and in, in the fucking in a, in a database. You fell right for it. Fell right for it, dude. <laughs> I'm like, sure, you need it? Take it. Take it. You're going to try to clone you? Dude, well, you know, they've, they've caught, uh, I think they caught a murderer with that. Like the dude submitted, or, or one of the dude's uh, like family members submitted their DNA, and they were able to cross-reference that back to this guy from, and he committed some murders some years ago. That's insane, dude. Yeah, you're just <laughs> you're just volunteering your DNA. They're gonna use it. <laughs> That's better than getting caught for some tweet from ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I'm glad we didn't have uh, that stuff when we were growing up. Yeah, man. For real. Because I mean, there was. Like, I was I was an <laughs> I was an ignorant young man. So like dealing with uh some of the stuff that is like all the social media and everything being out there and permanently on the internet, like that was thank God I didn't have to deal with any of that because it would have been yeah devastating <laughs> like coming back like as far as the way it affects your reputation because people don't People don't forgive or let people become redeemed anymore. Yeah. Like, that's that's another problem. It's like, okay, what's the shelf life on, you know, what... Like, this thing with Liam Neeson. What's going on with Liam Neeson? You haven't heard about this? No, please clue me. Dude, I live under a fucking rock, dude. <laughs> the way I learn about stuff is by talking to people like you. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, it's been a couple weeks now, but he was doing a press junket for... Um, some movie that he's doing and it's about revenge and um like somehow the question ended up spinning into like talking about revenge as an idea and he was talking about how damaging it can be and destructive and how it doesn't really solve anything and he starts talking about like 40 years ago um he was he was out of the country filming and a really close uh, friend of his ended up getting raped. So when he came back, he was like asking her, like, what did the guy look like? Was he tall? Was he this? What race was he? And he ended up being black. And uh, I guess he was just so angry and didn't know what to do with those feelings. Uh, for like a week, he was like walking around, I think in Dublin, and uh, like wanting... Uh, a black person to try to start some shit with him. Yeah. And in his words, like, wanted to kill him. He said, like, a black guy. And he used quotes, like, quotation marks like that for about a week. And then, like, he kind of came to his senses and realized, like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> like, this, this is insane. It's not. And then he, he started <clears throat> speaking with uh, some of his friends and he sought, he sought help for it. And, um, you know, like it, it was like one of, the, and like that ended up turning into like this huge thing where people were, you know, upset like Liam Neeson's racist and this and that. And it was like, well, 
you know, one, I think a lot of people inadvertently hold a lot of prejudices. I would agree for sure. Right? Um, and sometimes, like, it's more dangerous the people that won't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he he is putting it out there and he's trying to he was trying to make the point of like this is an ugly thing that he was bringing to light the topic the topic of you know, being vengeful and having these kinds of feelings are horrifying yeah and you know we need to work through that kind of stuff I and mean, it just got completely spun into Liam Neeson's racist oh <laughs> so I hate when people do that and so it's kind of like it's like yeah those were racist thoughts I agree but like, and it's it's not as if I'm like going like, oh, it was 40 years ago. Everybody was doing that. <laughs> like, but has he changed? Nobody nobody looks at the has the person changed? Have they grown? Are they right. a better person now than that person he just described? Right. And everybody completely discounts that. Like, and I think there's I think it's more important for the people that are changed. Like I'm. Like, I applaud somebody like that that, that can admit, like, that's a shit, like, he was ashamed of it. Like, that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, just publicly admit something that you're ashamed of yeah. that you've done versus people that never change and they still hold some really ugly views on <laughs> different members of mankind. <laughs> yeah. And, like. I'll I'll take Liam Neeson any day of the week yeah. over anybody else. Like, yeah, man. Well, we're all human, right? And uh, for some reason, we act like, and we we actually we hold politicians to the standard that it's wrong to change your opinion or it's wrong to change your view. But it's like, hey, man, I'm always evolving and always growing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get new information and you change your mind or you change your opinion on something. And in that particular situation with Liam Neeson, it sounds like. This was all these years ago. Something horrific happened to his friend. He felt super helpless and angry, and he was just completely acting on emotion and was just tying this emotion to a group of people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But then after a week, he came to his senses like, what the fuck is going on, right? He sought yeah. help. So it's kind of weird. It's like why would we hold somebody – why would we try to, I guess, punish somebody for feeling a certain way when it could have easily been anybody feeling that way. Mm -hmm. And it's not like he holds these values. Like, he's not walking around fucking, you know, and I don't know. He's not like a skinhead walking around in his fucking his boots, like, looking out for black people to go stomp him down or anything like that. It was just like this one situation, and now he's sharing with he's sharing his, his experience with people, I would imagine, so that way he can create like a positive effect from it right. for others right so it's just really weird that we do that because well for a lot of people it's a way to to grandstand basically yeah it's, it's like well look how virtuous i am it's like yeah like i know that you're a human i know you're flawed man yeah like i know that, right i know that there's ugly parts about you that nobody knows about right and and so yeah you can put on this facade because we're in a facade world everything is Look how great my life is on Facebook. And yeah. Everything. It's like, well. Yeah, dude. I know. <laughs> and people like, are tribal. I know it's not that. And, yeah, there's the tribalism thing. We like to, people like to hang out with people that look like them for the most mm -hmm. part. And uh, you see it in, like, people. Or, or share the same 
opinion, like either politically tribal or yeah. spiritually tribal or even in fitness. Yeah. Like, would you? Yeah, we're just kind of we wired just, that we way. We like to group together. So in that situation, it sounds like, all right, well, here's his here's his tribe that got attacked by another tribe, which he can only identify through color. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then now he just gets in, and then the instincts kind of just kick in, you know what I mean, from mm-hmm. just anger and whatnot. So it's not all so black and white. It's kind of complicated. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure it is. Yeah, dude. So what was it like growing up in Kansas? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I hate that state. <laughs> Only because. Did you grow up in Missouri? Yeah, man. Yeah, because this is an awesome state, dude. It's fucking awesome. I grew up in like the backwoods on a dirt road. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just fucking. I, I don't really hate the state. It's just uh, driving through Kansas yeah. to get to get to Colorado. It's just so brutal. It's so brutal. Because oh, you've already had to sit through Missouri. <laughs> It's like, oh, great, more of the same shit and just longer. <laughs> it's flatter. It's way flatter. Flat. That's true. It's flatter. But you moved to Kansas City, though, right? When you, how old were you? Uh, I was, it was right before I turned seven. Right so before you turned six. seven. But, yeah, I grew up in Overland Park, Kansas. Yeah. Which is in Johnson County, which would be, I think if you look up, like, the median household incomes, it would be, like, Chesterfield. Oh, okay. So, like. Like Clayton, Ledoux, all those like they they have much higher, like Creepcore, uh, town and country, much higher median household incomes, but their their populations are like four thousand. Except Clayton's like sixteen thousand. But then you go out to Chesterfield, and they probably have, uh, a median household income of like, I want to say like one thirty to one forty, but I haven't looked it up in a long, long time. Yeah. Um, but they've got like around 60,000 people. So they're just, that's why Chesterfield seems like it's got so much money Mm -hmm. because you've got uh, upper middle class, right? Versus lower, higher class, I would say. Yeah. Uh, But you just have a huge volume of people. They've got more than 10 times the population of some of these smaller ones. Mm -hmm. So take Chesterfield and then multiply that by 11 and then that's Johnson County. That's what I grew up in. Oh. Multiply that by 11 as far as size? Yeah, amount of people. Oh. Six, yeah. Like 660,000. Yeah, like that's that. fucking a lot of people, dude. What school did you go to? Blue Valley Northwest. Blue Valley Northwest. Which actually was in the news like about a month ago because of <laughs> ignorant shit. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, somebody like on their on their dance squad... Uh, a black girl got a scholarship to Mizzou. Okay. And in the opinion of the coach and, like, one of their uh, other choreographers, uh, she wasn't the most talented. There was other girls that weren't getting scholarships that were more talented than her or more deserving in their opinion. Yeah. Uh, Granted, like I said, it's just their opinion. Um, cause I, I don't know anything about dance. Oh shit. <laughs> um, it's like when the cheeks go up and down. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this girl saw like, uh, during, like during practice, they were, the coach was playing the music like through her iPhone and they had this girl go, um, 
changed the music or whatever, and she went through her text messages and saw these text messages with this choreographer and saying, like, the only reason why she got the scholarship is because she was black. Mm. Right? And so <laughs> it's like, wow, way to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he dropped the ball on that one, guys. Yeah. I mean, because it's such a white area. Yeah. Like, I mean, in all the black kids that grew up there are like Carlton. They want to think that they're not, but they are. Yeah. <laughs> Those are <laughs> Dude, kids that grow up in that community are dangerous, right? So I, I, I started out in, in Potosi, which is like a uh, very yeah. backwoods area. You familiar? I'm familiar with Potosi. There's not shit going on there. And then I moved to Jeff City, which is not shit going on there either. There's like 50,000 people there, a lot, a lot of fields and shit. Mm-hmm. But when you grow up in that community, and um, like we were probably like lower middle class, but if you don't have like intense struggle – like you tend to um you tend to start looking for trouble and like cause at least from what i noticed almost every fucking kid goes through this uh this stage probably between i don't know like 13 through 16 where everybody wants to be black and uh <laughs> everybody's buying baggy clothes and and shit and then they want to fucking start trouble and they just get into fucking trouble all the time because they want to be cool because everybody wants to uh, idolize, like, the hood or what they see in music or different things, and it just causes trouble. Yeah, because it's glamorized by pop culture. Yeah, it's not what they know. It's not what they know, so they romanticize it. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the kids who are really fucking struggling growing up in the hood, they're like, what are you doing? Like, I would give anything to be in your situation. But yeah. you see a lot of kids just causing shit. Yeah. I mean, that... We we never really got that in that much trouble or anything growing up, and a lot of my like we get we got uh, put on diversion for criminal trespassing because we went into the neighborhood pool after hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah, not much. I know. Well, like there there's just not a lot of crime or anything going on in Overland Park, so like. The cops were always just trying to bust teenagers. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, we never got in trouble as far as, like, getting arrested or anything like that. But I can remember just going around and just, like, starting fights. Just being, I don't know if that was you or not, but I can remember a lot of guys starting fights. I was, I definitely had my a few dad fights in high school. If I was starting fights, my dad would have whooped my ass. And so would my coaches. So, like, my, I had a real, I had a tough as nails wrestling coach. Yeah. And, uh. Like major disciplinarian type, but he was—he had a huge impact on my life. Um, yeah, like he, like that guy taught me a lot. My wrestling coach uh, in high school. So, yeah, I mean, my—I mean, my my dad was also a disciplinarian, kind of a hard ass when I was growing up. But like, you know, he's a great father. Yeah, I l- I learned so much from my father. Yeah. So, yeah, I never got in trouble, but I mean, for, I definitely went to parties and got in fights. <laughs> I definitely did that. I can think of a lot of guys who did that. I can just think of a lot of guys just, uh, just fucking. Maybe, maybe some of that was also because we were in a smaller town and there's like less to do, and people just start shit. I don't know, but I was, <laughs> I, you know, I never really got into fights. You're, uh, you're a good kid, man. Well, I, I mean, I was. I was like trying to hook up with girls and be a smart ass all the yeah. time. That's all. Like, <laughs> Were you the class clown? Uh, yeah, to a certain degree. Not so much in uh, high school, but like I, I mean, I was a I was a decent student. 
But yeah, I mean, I was a class clown. Like a lot of times, uh, I've got a fairly dry sense of humor, so stuff I would say would like fly under the radar. Yeah. So, um, every once in a while, like I remember in college, um, this t- <laughs> one of our teachers like started talking about welfare, and he would he was trying to prove a point of, um. Like, what does the typical welfare mother look like? And I don't, I don't remember what, because it didn't relate to what we were really talking about. Like, I don't know why he was going into it, but he, anyway, he was trying to prove the point that it's actually white women. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but, like, we have all these stereotypes or whatever. That, that was sort of, like, one of the things, the points he was making, but it was kind of unrelated to our subject matter. But, like, I was sitting in the back of the class, and I was joking around with somebody uh, in the back, like quietly about something completely unrelated. And he started laughing really loud because the kid was a dumbass. What was Casey's last name? Was it Dwyer? I don't remember. But he was he was on our football team. He was kind of a numb nuts. And he starts laughing really loud. And just like the whole class just stops. And he's like, so Casey, would you, would you like to share what's so funny? I was like, oh, it was just something that JC told me. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> just do you under- <laughs> <laughs> like, And the guy's like, well, I could use a laugh. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, remember when you were asking about uh, welfare moms and what they look like? And he's like, yeah. I said it was Casey's mom. <laughs> he was sitting right behind me, and the rest of the class started laughing. And Casey's just like, shit. That's <laughs> what he gets, man. He asked for it. Yeah, like... But I, I usually wasn't disruptive. Like I said, I'm like pretty low key. Yeah. With my humor, like you got, with me, you got to be paying attention. Yeah. Right. Because there's a lot of times, like, like, like with my words, I'll cut you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's sneaky. <laughs> like it just like you just never see it coming. You just say some shit, just real nonchalant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you say it with enough confidence, like, like sometimes you'll say something at somebody else's expense, and. They'll and like if you say it if you say it in a really relaxed like confident way, like it ain't no thing. Yeah. They go like what did he did he just try to check me? <laughs> Should I be offended right now? Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty minutes later, then the ego gets bruised. It's yeah. like, damn, man, I'm pissed now. <laughs> so, well, but I'm not like a real in your face like look at me kind of yeah kind of comedian. So yeah, no, you're real chill. Um. I don't think people would know that you're a comedian just if... Yeah, the <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I always get that because um, I'm so relaxed because uh, I fought for so long. People mm-hmm. like, I would have never guessed that you could like, punch people. Well, I mean, people like forget that like, um, you know, for some people, that's an outlet. Like, I was, a, I was a lot more obnoxious before I started doing comedy. But like, before comedy, I, I mean, I had a couple fights. Um, oh, yeah, you wrestled, did jiu-jitsu. I did jiu-jitsu. I did uh, two MMA fights. Um, all before I started doing comedy, you know. Yeah. The, uh, I ended up quitting jiu-jitsu because, A, I was racking up too many injuries. Um, and I really, really liked it. I like, well, I love jiu-jitsu, but, and I, I can't wait to get my son into it. But not the way I love comedy. There was something about when I started comedy, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And 
that like there's a lot of people that don't really understand passion i feel like but like when you find your passion if it's really your passion you don't have time for things that are your interests i 100 percent understand dude um i talked to you a little bit before this i said like i'm done competing in mm -hmm. jujitsu i'm just so over competing because i did it for so long and since i've started podcasting and since i've started some of these other different things um i want to be do those like, yeah yeah I, I like to teach jujitsu but i don't want to put in all the time that it takes to be a good competitor yeah anymore i mean it's, it's not it's not your passion in that not sense at all. um yeah and i <laughs> i see too many like in the drives me nuts sometimes like because there's a lot of comedians here in St. Louis, and then some of them are take kind of a weekend warrior approach. Yeah. And there's a handful of us that are like diehards. Like we, like we go up to as many open mics as possible to work on our craft, and that's why we're getting booked. Yeah. Uh, but we, you know, open mic can suck, man. It could, like you take a beating. <laughs> yeah. Like it's emotionally. <laughs> It is a beating because, like, a lot of people aren't – they're not wired to keep getting back up there when you're just kind of em emotionally naked in front of an entire room and nothing's working because you're standing up there. You don't you don't have an instrument. You don't have anybody else with you. Yeah. It's just you and a microphone, and you're trying to evoke one of the most powerful human emotions out of people that can't be faked. Yeah. Okay. Laughter can't. I mean, you could fake laugh, obviously. Right. But like, really, like getting to them and connecting, that can't be faked. And you're you're kind of sitting sitting up there naked, like, hey, like me. Right. <laughs> and it's it's hard when it's not working out to keep going up and keep doing that. Yeah, and that's inevitable, right? I mean, everybody's gonna bomb. Everybody bombs. Yeah. Everybody bombs. <laughs> <laughs> like there's there's if somebody tells you, hey, they haven't bombed, they, then A, they're either a liar or they've just never really done it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's different when, like, some people are like, yeah, I tried stand-up a couple times. I, I went up to uh, an open mic over a funny bone. I only did it twice, but everybody got really great laughs. I was like, yeah, because all your friends came. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it, if when it's all your friends, of course they're going to laugh. Right. Because yeah, they already get your sense of humor, but, like, that – that doesn't mean you can go make a complete group of strangers laugh. It's, it doesn't mean you're good enough for somebody to pay you money to do it. Yeah, and um, that's where that's where the challenges really lie in it. And it's like like because like I was telling you like when when I like when I finally just sacked up and did comedy because uh, I'd been wanting to do it forever. And it was just never enough time, never enough time, never enough time. Like, like working on three degrees when I was in school and playing football. Um, and then I started working for DFM, and I was working long, long hours because it was a company that just started, right? It was in its infancy. I was there at the, at the beginning. So we were putting in long hours, wearing a lot of hats. And then I went back and got my, got my MBA, and then I was doing MMA. And, like, there was just never any time. And then I was coming up on my 30th birthday, and uh, I was like, shit, I haven't accomplished this goal that I wanted to do. So uh, the year 
of my 30th birthday, so 2011, I made that a uh, a New Year's resolution to do at least two open mics because I knew that one of them would suck. <laughs> I was like, because you know, I had to. I was trying to prepare myself realistically. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> the first time I did open mic, you know, I was all like, I had amped myself up for it, and I bombed horribly. And granted, it was at a bar open mic, which are way harder than doing at a club. Yeah. Because people like when it's an open mic that's set up at a bar, there's patrons that come in. They're like, "What's going on?" They're like, "What's with the guy with the microphone?" Yeah. Like they're not there for comedy. At right. least when you go to a comedy club, they came to listen and sit for comedy. Mm-hmm. So I bombed, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was, but I was like, "It's weird. You got to have these delusions of grandeur." Um, <laughs> I was like. Okay, well, I mean, I knew, you know, I knew it probably wouldn't go all that well, but like now I know what to expect. <laughs> right, this I'm, time will be way better. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be ready next week. I came back the next week and I bombed so much harder, <laughs> <laughs> so much harder, and I mean, I like emotionally, I was devastated. This was like the thing that I had always like dreamt about doing. That's your dream, man, and you just fell flat on your face. Yeah. Probably felt like and uh, somebody pulled me to a side after it and I was like hey can I make a suggestion because I was like really nervous and jittery while I was up there and everything yeah. and like my like it, it didn't even seem like the same person <laughs> and uh, and especially at like at the time I was like really really in shape and I would you know I was younger so like I had more of a baby face and everything but like I it wasn't that many years removed from back when I used to model so I didn't look the part of all the awkward guys that were in, that were there. Um, he's like, drop the awkward act. I was like, that's not an act. That's like me being like uncomfortable and everything. He's like, well, then you got to fake it. You got to look like you're confident and everything because all these other guys, it makes sense when they're awkward and they look uncomfortable. It looks like part of their character. It's like, it doesn't work for you. It's distracting and no one's going to listen to what you have to say. And... Uh, I was signed up for an, another open mic later that week because the, the O'Malley's open mics, that bar, was on Mondays and there was a there was a comedy club called Comedy Etc. 2 that was on Wednesdays. Um, but you had to sign up the week before. Uh, you had to sign up on their email list or whatever and then they put the list out a week in advance. So I was already on there. And I didn't want to go because <laughs> I, I mean, I had just bombed so much harder and I didn't sleep for those two days in between. Um, just thinking about like what just happened. Is that that and, you know, licking my wounds and being really upset and like humiliated. And, yeah. And just hard to like, sleep. All these different things and like being like uh, not wanting to go on Wednesday. Like, I knew that Wednesday was coming up, so, like, there was anxiety there. Should I go? Should I not? Should I go? Should I not? Like, you know, like, I don't think I can do this anymore. And, like, <laughs> and, um, but ultimately what I decided was, you know, down the road, I might want to do comedy again. I might want to give it another shot. And there's only two comedy clubs here locally one of them is really difficult to get onto, 
and then this other like so I don't want to burn a bridge with one that already signed me up by them putting me on the list and then me not showing up yeah so um I just sacked up and I took that advice of faking like I was uh really confident up there and uh didn't bomb uh wasn't good but it felt like I was good at the time <laughs> <laughs> and like I, I remember the ride home uh i had a buddy drive us out there and then we were gonna go out and celebrate afterward i'm like talking on the phone with my mom oh mom like i just did it like maybe i could do this i'm about to have my own special any day now and uh so then i started doing it more and like i counted how many how many times that i told jokes on a microphone whether it was a paid show or whether it was just open mic. Uh, but I counted for that first year. And remember what I was saying about like when you really find your passion, you've got time for nothing else. Right. Uh, I performed 235 times. Oh, man. In the, my first year of doing comedy. Now, some of those uh, like multiple performances in a night? Yeah. Okay. So it, it wasn't every single night of the week, but it was quite a few man yeah right. it's a grind isn't it i mean signing up for open mics and you mm -hmm. sometimes hit two or three spots in a night if you can um it's not always possible but like i remember when i started um when i first started there were three places you could get on o'malley's and the two clubs that was it and then within a few months because for whatever reason there was this huge influx of new comedians at the same time that i came on board um, a lot of really like hungry driven individuals that all of a sudden they started creating their own open mics and like setting up these different open mics where you could go every night of the week and then some of them were monthly so they could overlap so you could hit multiple ones in one night but I remember there was one point where we uh, a little bit less than a year in for me doing it um, me and a few buddies Ended up hitting four open mics in one night. It's a lot. Yeah. When it used to be you could only get three in a week. Yeah. Like it it had just changed a lot. So Yeah. I love going to comedy shows. It's such a good time. Um the the one thing I always study people. Mm -hmm. Like I love man, so if I if I would just not be a pussy, I tell myself like I would love to go do stand up. But mm -hmm. I'm always like studying comedians and um yeah, like stage presence is just so huge. You can almost tell immediately by like how you can just feel like when a comedian like walks up on the stage and like they grab the mic, you can almost tell like what kind of control they'll have of the crowd. Mm -hmm. It's just so interesting to see. Um, there's guess, a lot of mechanics to, to the performance. Yeah, what are they? I mean, there's things like people tell you timing is everything. Yeah. Um. You know, learning to emphasize the right words. Um, so, like, the inflection of your voice. Yeah. Some of it is the facial expression that comes with it. Um, like, th things that people don't think about. Like, it's not like you're just up there, s like, just giving a monologue. Right. Just like saying, the details really yep. matter. And then, uh, you know, things like your, bo your body language yeah. is huge. Like, you're super relaxed on the... Mm -hmm. on the stage i like i told you um the first time i saw you was like five probably almost six years ago now 
was at the Funny Bone. You're, uh, I think you were hosting the whole night. Like you, is that so? Is that what it's called? Hosting, like you, yeah, hosting or emceeing. Yeah, so and you're then, emceeing, like you tend to open as well. Like you do the first. Yeah. So what you the the typical structure is a it's a three person show at a comedy club. Um, not always the case. Sometimes they do a two person show, but the in it's different for every club, but generally the the MC will come up and they'll do like ten to fifteen. It's like it's like the previews. Yeah. Like when you go see a movie. Think yeah. of it like that, right? Okay. And then you've got a feature act that comes up. So the the MC will do like ten, maybe fifteen minutes. Feature act will do twenty to thirty. The 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 times vary per club. Yeah. Okay? But a lot of times it's like fifteen, thirty, and then Headliner does forty five. But like then you can narrow those those first two acts down and the headliner might do an hour. Yeah. So it's it just depends on what the headliner wants that week. It depends on that club's rules. Um like in Oklahoma City, um the Looney bin down there, that particular manager like instead of like they don't give you like an exact amount of time to do on your set. What they do is at this time you have to get off the stage so it might be the show time is supposed to start at 8 but you got to be off stage by 8 15 but we might not start the show till 805 we might not start till 807 we might start at 802 mm. it's going to be a different duration every time oh wow so now you got to get off at at a time versus in a duration does that make it harder i thought it was way harder but it was also great experience yeah like like learning how to cut certain parts of your joke out to like speed it up because at the time I had a I had a closer that you know when I was doing it as a full closer it would take like three minutes but I could also do it in a like a minute thirty do like an abridged version of it yeah so do you um do you practice your jokes like saying them out loud to get timing or yeah how does that work i mean how do you what's your process for writing and creating your jokes um well like whenever like when someone was just asking me the other day about like how you come up with material and everybody's got a different process yeah uh for me funny things happen like all the time life is hilarious yeah if you just pay attention and so but like every once in a while you can catch it and like ah that's something i can make a joke out of and I'll like, because it usually happens at a not convenient time. <laughs> so I don't have time to stop and write out a full joke. Yeah. So I'll just text myself the general premise. Yeah. And I know, like, if I know the right words, I'll remember it later. And I'll go back through, and then I'll actually try to type something out. Like, um, or occasionally, I stopped doing pen and paper, um, which. Is I think it's easier to to memorize stuff with pen and paper. Yeah, but <laughs> I lose notebooks all the time, so <laughs> so I started just putting it in like in my Google Docs or something or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's much more convenient into, that way. Into Drive, so then I could access it from my phone or whatever, and um, put like a like a general draft of the joke together, um, and then I'll go back through and I'll probably like kind of bullet point different like words that. Like, okay, I definitely need to say this word. This is the most important word of this sentence. If I can remember this word, I'll remember the whole sentence. Yeah. Right? 
or I might, if I remember this word, I'll remember these two or three sentences just off of knowing that one, like remembering that to use that one word. Right, right. And then you go out and you flesh it out on the stage. Um, so you go out and you, you just have to do it. Yeah. And for me, like before I'm really comfortable with a joke, sometimes it might be six months before I bring it out onto the stage for like a non open mic show, like for like an actual paid gig. Um, a lot of times I'll cut out all the jokes that are works in progress. Yeah. So, um, but I always kind of leave myself a little bit of room too, because if the, if a show, if a set is going great, <laughs> like if it, if everybody's just on board and the crowd's electric and everything, like, okay, now I can, like, I've earned their trust. So now I'm going to try something a little bit different. Like, yeah. I'm going to, test it out a little more with this crowd because because i also know if if it doesn't get as much of a response as i was expecting it to i've already got other jokes in my back pocket to lean right back into and get everything back on track yeah i know some comedians like some larger comedians they'll uh they'll hit the road and they'll hit smaller clubs and Mm -hmm. work their material material out there before they really let some of the bigger crowds see it do you ever do that, like hit smaller little areas or anything like that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like particular, like I'm not huge, so. <laughs> well, uh, well, I so mean, I kind of have to actually. <laughs> You're like, well, really, I just do that out of necessity. I yeah, think. really. <laughs> um, yeah, no. A lot of times, what I'll do is I'll go to an open mic that's um, that's like a hard. Well, I actually run an open mic every week in. Uh, in uh, Maplewood at oh, the Crow's you? Nest. Oh, sweet. And it is a, it's a really difficult open mic because it, I mean, it's a bar show um, and it's a shotgun style bar. So like uh, on one side of the bar, it run, it's, you know, it's a long like corridor almost and then the bar runs the length of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you get a lot of people talking. Yeah. Um, it's a really challenging open mic and plus, uh, we do these, like, we have these little games that we throw in where people, comedians can go up and they can pull, like, we've got, like, a giant deck of cards. Yeah. Like, they're, like, the size of an eight and a half by 11. And uh, you pull a card. You Did you ever play the game Circle of Death? Some people call it Kings. Um, I've never played it, but I'm aware of it. Right. So it's a drinking game yeah. where you pull a card and then there's, like, a sci- an assignment attached to that card, whether it's, like, okay, if you pull a five you hand out five drinks to people or if you pull two, three or four, you have to take a drink or there's all these different rules. Yeah. So we did that idea, but we applied it to comedy rules. So, um, there might be a card where we call it, um, not no microphone. Like we take the microphone away. Why can't it? It's, it's my show. I've been running it for four years. We've got like 40 different categories that we use. Um, Oh, it's called, is this thing on? So we've got a card where if you pull, it might be the queen that night. The queen this week is, is this thing on? So you have to perform without a microphone for the next minute. <laughs> oh, man. Or uh, it might be you have to do nothing but clean jokes. Or uh, we've got one called Bluish American Princess where you, like uh, it has to be the darkest joke that you have in your repertoire. Okay. Right, because blue humor is 
dark humor. So oh, I did not know that. Yeah, that's another term for it. It's blue humor. So okay. we call it bluish American princess. Um, what day of the week do you do this? It's on Wednesdays. It usually starts around ten thirty ish. To be honest, we always start late, because <laughs> <laughs> we're always there drinking. Oh, that's funny. But man. yeah, it's it's Wednesdays at. Uh, at ten thirty, a crow's nest and off of Manchester. It's a lot of late night, uh, late nights in comedy, right? I mean, yeah, it's a late scene. I have a hard time. I'm an early bird. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going, a night owl. I like wake up probably when people are going to bed in the comedy world. Sometimes, yeah. Like if it's um, man, Funny Bone used to have a midnight show on Saturdays. They don't anymore, but those were brutal. Cause I mean, you know, like it. If you're working a week there, so you might have to work Wednesday th- through Sunday, right? <laughs> and on, um, so you do one show Wednesday, one show Sat- or Thursday, two shows Friday, then you do a 7.30, 10 o'clock, and then a midnight <laughs> on Saturday. Man. And, man, when that when that show rolls around, it's like, oh, do I want to climb this mountain again? <laughs> like, or you can be two so before rough. it. Yeah. And so... It, because it's like you're hitting the reset button. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it weird? Or actually, I always wondered, do you ever switch? So I imagine you're, you're telling like the same jokes to each crowd, right? Or For the most part. Yeah. As I say, like, does it ever change between, you know, in the same night? Do you have like different sets for different crowds or? I'm sometimes. Always, yeah. I, I never wondered. I always wondered how that worked. Yeah. Sometimes. Especially if like, if, if I'm only emceeing, um, I'm limited on the amount of time I get to do up there. Yeah. So I might do completely different sets from show to show. Yeah, that makes um, sense. But at the same time, if you're if you're working at a club, do the material that got you there. Like that's yeah. what, it's like they did. <laughs> they did. They didn't book you, and they're not paying you money to see like. I'm like, oh, what did you come up with this morning? Yeah. <laughs> Dude. They're like, no, do that shit that I saw you do. <laughs> yeah. It's like when people go to uh, see like a Metallica concert or something. Like nobody wants to see, like hear the music off your new album, bro. Right. <laughs> like just play what we came, came right here. Um, is St. Louis a good a good city for comedy? Um, yeah, I think it is, but... I mean, it depends on what you think is a good, like a good comedy scene. I think we got a lot of really talented, really uh, hungry comedians. Um, ultimately, you know, d- if you want to take that next step in your career, you're probably gonna have to move away from St. Louis. Yeah. But I think what ends up happening is, like, there's a lot of comedians that move out to L.A. Not from St. Louis, but just in general. I feel like comedians who start in L.A. They never really get much stage time because even, I mean, they do because there's open mics everywhere, but they're. It's a hard city, though. I mean, yeah, the, any but, night of the week, you can go like the comedy store or somewhere. And yeah, like, but it's going to be somebody famous bumping That's what you. I'm saying. Yeah. And um, what I find is a lot of people in L.A. like start to do comedy that they they haven't really developed anything yet. So like it's. It's lackluster compared to other cities that you're not going to get famous in. Yeah. Right? But, like, they really flesh out the time and get something real. Yeah. And then they also, because they're smaller cities, they, 
you know, as they start to get better, they develop more time. In L.A., like the most you're going to get in maybe 10 minutes. Yeah, that's I, I would figure it would be hard in L.A. because – And nobody it, can do more than 10 minutes. Yeah, there. if you're just trying to come up, it's like, well, why would I come see you when I can just go here and like Bill Burr's on and yeah. Anthony Jeselnik or just who the f- – you pick your fucking you – Right. Throw a name out. Like they're all performing there. But all those people that you're talking about, they didn't get their start in L.A. Right. They moved to L.A. after they got good. Right. So I think uh, – I don't I don't know who said this, but somebody was like, get your chops somewhere outside of the big cities. Right. Right. Like get good. Um, then move to New York to get great. Then move to LA to get famous. Hmm. I can dig that. Is uh Chicago still I've I've always Chicago's really big on improv. Okay. Like that's that's their big thing. Im- improv and sketch. There's some really good comedians coming out of Chicago too. But there's good comedians coming out of every city. Yeah. So funny people everywhere. Um. So I mean, they've got a really big alt scene too, I believe. What's, what's that? Um. Well, there, there's like there's like club comedy, and then there's like alt comedy, and then there's like urban comedy. Those are kind of the three main uh, styles. Okay. But like alt comedy would be kind of your non-traditional approaches they do they do a lot of uh i mean i can't even pinpoint it because they're kind of all over the place but it's not they're people that aren't as mainstream yeah and a lot of times you'll see them um like setting up shop and like there's a big alt scene here in st louis um where it's less mainstream jokey joke stuff and more you know, seemingly stream of consciousness or like they might they might have a lot of existentialist jokes or whatever stuff that you can't really pin down. Yeah. Jeanine Garofalo was very she was like an all comic or um Zach Galifagnakis or Patton Oswalt. Oh, okay. Where they weren't like, you know, your traditional club style set up joke yeah type comedians. Um so um I guess that that would be the types of almost like if you were wanted to stereotype it like in a coffee shop kind of yeah like kind of well you most of your like you were talking about SJWs that like most of them are going to be in that type of scene um not I mean not all of them I'm just yeah you just don't see those ones in the club right <laughs> as much and then there's club comedians that you know typically tackle like more mainstream stuff um and hopefully not be hack while they're at it (laughs) yeah and then uh i mean urban comedy is its own own type of animal what's that like uh like laugh lounge okay like uh i they call it urban comedy black rooms (laughs) it's yeah it's just black rooms and it's Culturally, it's a different style. Yeah, it is. It re- it just really is. It's it really a different is. style. Like people, they they find different things funny. Yeah. We, we have our differences. Um, Absolutely. There's some things that are universal. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, um, even just like the approach to it, like like a t- like if you watch a typical urban show, usually like like locally, you're gonna see a guy go out. They o- they're always gonna have a DJ, which 
alt shows should have a DJ, but they don't. <laughs> okay, so there's walk up music. Yeah. And then they dance for like <laughs> for sometimes what seems like two minutes. I'm like, when are we gonna get to the jokes? Like, what are we man? doing, guys? What are we doing? Um, a lot more uh, crowd work. You see a lot more crowd work in urban comedy. Um, usually, you'll like a lot more uh, profanity, but not in the same way. Like there's profanity, like in like a uh, club comedy or all comedy, but usually they're getting like graphic and kind of uh, gross with their profanity. I would say. Okay. Whereas it's a lot more casual use of like, it's like fucking you know what I mean, motherfucker. You like it's yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I speak. <laughs> right. It, <laughs> so it's um, like at a club, you got to be a lot more polished. Yeah. Like you don't get as much work when you curse a lot. Yeah. Um. Like you can you can do it in like an alt room, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna go all that well. Is that just because it's just not as uh I guess palatable for the general pop hearing all all the, all the cursing, so more clubs just kinda prefer you not to cuss a lot? Is that what that is or Yeah, and then like it might be like because like a comedy club is gonna get um Older folks also. Yeah. So you got to like make it where like it's something that's not off putting to them. Yeah. And then you might have a committee. Like I, I was the feature for uh, John Lovitz when he came in town. And in, and the writer in his contract is the, the feature. It, that was a two man show. So not only did I had to take, take the crowd from cold to hot, because <laughs> you walk out there and there's like no lead. You're, it's just you. Yeah. So, like, you got to, like, take all these people that were in the middle of conversations. Yeah. And just start talking. But, all right, funny man, make <laughs> me laugh. Yeah. But instead you do, like, because you're doing, it's a two-person show. Now, instead of only doing 10 to 15 up top and then bringing somebody up, now you're doing 25 to 30. Yeah. And then you're bringing up the headliner right after. Yeah. Um, Joe Rogan does his shows like that. He does two-man shows? Yeah. He usually brings somebody open for him, usually somebody who can, like, headline. Like, when he came to St. Louis, he had... Yeah, when you're doing, like, a bit, yeah. Yeah. Because you want the crowd already warm. Yeah. And he's going to bring somebody that's... That makes sense. He's going to bring somebody that has a lot of experience. Yeah. That is going to be able to open up a crowd like that. Yeah. Because he wants, he wants a pro in front of him to set him up. Yeah. Um... I was a feature for Brendan Schaub. Yeah, no, man. I wanted to ask you about that. That's yeah. you've been, you've, uh, you've, you've met. I imagine quite a few people in this scene. I mean, anybody who comes to St. Louis, you're probably at the top of the list to to feature or host or. Uh, no, I'd say I'm pr- pretty middle of the pack. Actually, I, think, I mean, I can yeah. think of. Uh, I mean, there's quite a few comedians in the city that kind of come to mind. But like in my mind, I think of like you and like Rafe Williams. Yeah. And uh, what's Rafe's girlfriend's name? Tina. Tina's hilarious. She's hilarious. I've seen her a few different times. I went and saw Shane Moss uh, oh, when yeah? he was in town. Yeah, and uh, it was so cool because nobody was fucking there because I guess nobody knew who he was or something. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah, and uh, she opened up for him. And uh, yeah, she's funny, man. Tina's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got Bobby. You got Kenny Kynes, Chris Sear. Um, 
I'm trying to think. Scott James. Um, I mean, and then and then there's guys that are kind of like a, like have been doing it longer than us. Um, that still get like quite a bit of feature work, and then sometimes headline like uh, Sean O'Brien, um, Steve Poggi. I haven't seen him perform in a little while, but Steve's really funny. Um, Rob Durham. I'm trying to think who else. So I mean, there's more than you think. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I don't know them. I'm and not, I, like I'm, not I'm I know that I'm leaving some people out here. <laughs> like, yeah, but and we've also had some. Really funny people move away, like um, Reggie Edwards, like funny, funny dude. Uh, he moved to New York. Um, Vincent Bryant moved to Chicago. Andrew Frank, that dude's a monster. I don't think I know him. Really, really intelligent comedy. Um, like sometimes people think it's pretentious, though, but like he. I I personally don't think so, but like I think that's what some of the jealous comedians have said about him. <laughs> oh yeah, is there like, a lot of jealousy going on in the scene? Uh, it's just pettiness. Yeah, like I mean, it, it, everybody does kind of run on their own cliques, but especially when you consider like kind of in general people that do. Stand-up comedy, not it, and not everybody. It's just this is a sweeping generalization, but a lot of them um, have some issues with their own security anyway. That's like how they ended up in stand-up yeah. comedy. That's like sort of how they're working out, working it out. <laughs> so, there, I mean, there tends to be a lot of uh, pettiness. I don't know as much about jealousy, but um, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, we all try to support each other at the same yeah. time. Like it's. It's kind of, you know, if it's good, if something good happens to this person here in St. Louis, that makes the whole scene look good. It really does. So, at the end of the day, it's like just reminding of that. Yeah. But, Were there any, uh, any like, big acts that came to town that, uh, that you really enjoyed working with more than others? Or who are some of the people that, uh, I guess, have been, uh, like, a real positive impact on you? Um... No, I was a, I was probably about a little less than I was less than a year in. I was it's probably about eight months in. Uh, so this was 2012. I opened for Orlando Jones uh, from Drumline, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it was really refreshing to see how much he appreciated all his fans because he like he sold out. Every single show that week, and um, he stuck around after every show and took pictures with every person. Didn't charge them. Oh wow! Right, because <laughs> you, you you see that now. Yeah, dude. People like, hey, for twenty bucks, you can take a picture with me in front of this thing, and but yeah, and like what? Like any, like he took pictures of on his camera with them, oh, and was cool. like he would post it on his his website or whatever. And, uh, like, it, w it was cool to see somebody that really enjoyed their moment and didn't take it for granted. Yeah. Enjoyed their fan base and uh, and showed his appreciation for them. Um, but, like, the, a lot of times somebody that's that's already famous gets into comedy 
and then they start headlining way sooner than everybody else because they know they're going to get booked because people recognize the name and a lot of people are going to show up. Yeah. He was actually funny, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> which is because his movies suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, like his stand up was, it was funny. Yeah. Uh, and he brought a feature with him who was a monster. It's uh, Alex Scott. That dude is so funny. Like he was, um, he was really great. I worked with a guy named, um, with Kevin Bozeman. You familiar with him? Mm-mm. He, uh, you gotta look him up. He's really funny. I will. I will. <laughs> um, I forgot what he, where he came in on Last Comic Standing, but he was in the first few seasons of Last Comic Standing and stuff. And, um, he's based out of Chicago. Okay. Um, I worked with him on the road and, that was an amazing experience working with him. He, uh, because I, I asked him, I was like, hey, I know this might seem weird. And I'm like, I'm just a new guy. Uh, would you mind watching a couple of my sets and giving me like some tips? He's like, of course, man. And then, so we, we had to share a condo together. Um, and with the feature also. But uh, we were chilling at the condo watching basketball. I was like, hey, so did you want to you wanna go over that stuff now? I was like, yeah, 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 sure. And he pulls out notes. And I was like, that is, that's somebody that, like, takes the craft seriously. Yeah. And, I mean, his skills are insane. Like, he's, he gives great performances, but he's also a great writer. Like, yeah. Like, some people, some people, like, really lean on their performance skills. Like, Dane Cook. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then... Some people are flat-out writers. Yeah. Um, like Ian Edwards? Yeah, or somebody who who I think is a brilliant comedian is... Um, what's her name? She, she did the... Maria Bamford. Now, she found a way to make her weird stage presence work for her. It's like this really awkward, like uncomfortable thing. Yeah. But her writing is brilliant. And like she found a way to like make the performance work to get up to get the writing across. Yeah. Um so I, there's some people that are that are just both. Like um like Chappelle can do the moves because he's a pro. He's but like Phenomenal writer. One of he's, oh yeah, he's hands down my favorite comedian living today. Yeah, he's good. He's real. Did you see that Neil Brennan stand up special that he did on Netflix, The Three Mics, where it's uh he would he 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 would go back between three mics. Like one was just like one liners, and then the other one was like if he was no. actually just doing stand up, and then the one was uh I think just like him just being like open and candid, and like actually just like speaking to the audience. No, I didn't watch it. It was such. It's probably about a year old now, but it's on Netflix. It was fucking brilliant. I thought, Hmm. just so interesting. Is he still friends with Chappelle? Yeah, they're best friends. Well, I know they were, but I thought there was a falling out during the the period of oh, like over the Chappelle show kind of thing. Oh, that I don't know. That I do not know. I mean, but he basically created it with them. Yeah, they wrote it together. I mean, they're like, I'm pretty sure they're still really good friends. They're like some of the oldest friends. Yeah. Yeah. I got mad respect for Chappelle. He is such an interesting guy, man. He'll just show up anywhere. So cerebral. Yeah, man. 
is he has some of the smartest comedy that doesn't seem smart. I like I like comedy that flies at two altitudes, like yeah. mentally, mm-hmm. like where it can be very lowbrow and highbrow simultaneously. Yeah, he can do that. Um, Carlin was great at that. Oh, Carlin's a fucking beast. So, but he would make you think. He'd really educate you like, mm-hmm. during his comedy. No, I really, really love Carlin. And he put out a new ep- he put out a new special every year. Yeah, I know. That was nuts. He's got like thirty specials. Yeah, that's crazy. But, and then I liked how like real Pryor would get. Like those are my top three. Like my my Mount Rushmore. I haven't. I I don't know who I'd pick for my fourth, but it would be uh, Pryor, Carlin, Chappelle. And then I don't know who I'd put. Oh, Russell Peters. I'd probably put Russell Peters. He on is there. good. I'm so mad at myself. I didn't go see Russell Peters when he came to Helium. Because that's such an intimate room, and I mean, how often can you see a guy like that yeah. in that kind of setting? I mean, he's selling out all over the world in huge stadiums. Yeah, dude is, dude is legit for real. Yeah, I really, they, I really wanted to work with him. the The booker had booked me to be his feature, and then uh, he ended up bringing his own feature. So, mm. so sometimes it doesn't work out. Same yeah. thing happened with uh, Whitney Cummings. Oh yeah. They had booked me to feature, and then, like, 30 minutes later, uh, I got an email. Hey, she, the, the manager just said that uh, she's got somebody she's bringing up. Oh, dude, you want to talk about it? It's a bummer. Probably heart just sinks in that moment. I was like, damn, man. Yeah. yeah. No, the big one, though, was that I really wanted to do was uh, Russell Peters when he was at Alien. Yeah. So, Dude, that would have been a good show to be in for sure. Yeah. But you did Brendan Schaub. Brendan Schaub was cool. Yeah. He's a funny ass dude. Yeah, he is funny. The um he, he's kind of an example of somebody who was famous before they started comedy and Yeah. Probably moved up the ranks faster than they really should have, but he he seems to he's got a good head on his shoulders about it. Like the it it like, it, you can tell that he's got comedy mentors that keep him in check. Yeah. I mean, he's around some like of the Like Rogan best. and Callan and, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, Joey Diaz. Joey Diaz. Right. You know, man, Joey Diaz came, and um, I might, people might not like that, but I didn't think he was that funny. I mean, I laughed a lot, but it's not the best stand-up I've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination, to be honest. Yeah, I mean. He had some good stories. Like, some people, that's sort of their thing, like, I mean, comedy's subjective. It really is. So, I mean, just because it didn't really, like, hit home with you, I mean, were you, like, you might have still been entertained. By I it. was. I'm not saying he's not funny. I, maybe I just had higher expectations. I, That's probably part of it. Expectations right? will fuck up everything. <laughs> That's probably part <laughs> of it. I uh, try to go into those shows and just, like, just be an open slate mm-hmm. and not expect anything. And I'm usually pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, but that one I just had to expect, and it was he. I mean, he sold out. I mean, it was so crowded in there. Yeah, yeah. The um, another guy I really liked working with was, uh, and he was just here recently, but I didn't go see him because I was busy. Uh, Michael Costa. He's just he was just fun to work with. He's he's on Daily Show. Okay. Um, I think like whenever Trevor Noah's sick, I think he fills in as the host now. Okay. But he w- 
He's pretty funny. I worked with him in Kansas City. Um, different sense of humor. <laughs> like, I don't know how to, <laughs> I can't even describe it. Like, I can't even remember any, yeah. most of the jokes now, but like, they were, <laughs> he, could do, he was doing this thing. This he He did this weird thing where he's like, oh, we got some hot ladies in the room, and he'd go look at it. It's like, oh, like she looks hot. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just seemed really weird. And then he kept doing it, and it was like, you know, like on Family Guy where they'll take a joke and like really run it past where it like to a point stops being funny? Yeah, like you should have stopped here, but they kept going to here. Yeah. So it gets to a point where it's not funny. And then they keep going, and it gets funny again. <laughs> it's like, how does that work? Yeah. Like when he's like, ah. ah. Yeah, yeah. They... <laughs> Lois. Like he just keeps making it work. <laughs> like he, it's almost like what he did with that thing. I was just like, it, it just seemed so weird, but then you have no idea what what yeah. made him likable but it, it worked yeah sometimes comedians they'll just stick with something long enough until people just start laughing i've noticed mm. <laughs> and it's just like you just get you just work past that awkwardness for a second and then it just gets funny yeah so i mean sometimes there is just awkwardness in the crowd and like like i'm one of those people that'll sometimes acknowledge it i i acknowledge awkwardness in everyday conversation like yeah. All the time, because I'm awkward as fuck. I don't know how to <laughs> shake people's hands. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Do we shake hands? Do we dap? Do I knuckle fist? This is bringing in for a fucking hug, dude. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> I don't know if my mom's side of the family or my dad's side of the family is trying to come through on this one. <laughs> I just don't know, man. What are we, business professional or are we fucking, <laughs> we broing it up? I don't know. Dap up. Yeah, man. That's funny. So, <sighs> well, dude. We've been going for a little bit. I don't. Cool. I don't want to take too much of your time. No I really problem, appreciate man. you doing this. Dude, thanks for having me on. Um, let's. Uh, floor is yours. Um, plug any socials. Uh, anything coming up? Whatever you'd like to tell the folks about. Point them to. When? Uh, when are you getting ready? To, uh, so when do you think it's gonna go up? Uh, so this one is episode fifty. I think fifty four. Okay. Fifty. This would be out, shit, hold on. I did 50, 51, 52. Like two weeks? Like two weeks. This is 53, I think. So this will probably be out either not this upcoming Thursday, but the week after or the following Monday. So okay. like two weeks. Okay. Well, if it's the following Thursday, um, I'm going to be at Helium for their Dirty Show. That's a... Thursday the 28th. Okay. And then on March 2nd, I'm going to be at, a, which is a Saturday, I'm going to be out in Wood River, Illinois. I'm going to be headlining that show. Yeah. So I'll be doing like an hour. Um, and that's at Madison's Tea Room and Banquet Hall. Yeah, I saw that. So that one should be fun. And I've got a really, uh, really funny comedian coming with me. Um, her name's Angela Smith. She's really funny. So... Um, I I want to call her an up and comer, but like she's been doing it for a little while now, so she's like past that phase. Yeah. <laughs> like she's legit now. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and then I think I had another one in late March, but I can't. I'd have to look up my. I have to pull up the calendar for that one. So okay. But yeah, um, all my social is just JC Sabala. 
So S I B A L A. Yeah, and I'll put this in the show notes so people can cool. easily get a hold of you and follow you and. Yeah, I don't do a whole lot on Twitter, and my Instagram is basically pictures of my son. <laughs> <laughs> like, I might post stuff from shows, um, but, like, I don't, like, tweet out a lot of jokes or anything, but, like, I make a lot of memes. Yeah. Like, because like I, you know, I had a background in graphics, mm-hmm. so a lot of times I'll just make them on my own. Yeah. Some people think I stole them sometimes, like, no. You ever think about just, like, using that platform to just drive more... Uh, just like more people towards your comedy. Yeah, but I, you know, I it's I also have a day job. Yeah, <laughs> so that takes up a lot of time. Yeah, um, and then also the uh, like if your customers are going on there, <laughs> like my for my day job, my day job customers are like, all this guy does is dick around on the internet all day. <laughs> <laughs> like, <they're> like <laughs> what is he doing? So. Uh, I mean, I don't get overly involved on social um, because I also think there's there's kind of a, a backlash to that as well. Like, I, I, there's a couple of comedians uh, on our scene that, like, they're just, they inundate you. It's just, like, verbal diarrhea, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm going to be doing this show and like and, like, there's just a fakeness about it. They're like, oh, I'm going on tour. I'm like, you're not going on tour. You're not getting paid for any of those shows you're doing. <laughs> yes. It's like you're crashing on couches, doing free shows, or doing, like, like trying to get <laughs> Yeah. Don't get me on a soapbox on that. But like, some, some yeah. people think everything's facade. They put on this facade of, like, they're a pro comedian. Dude, now. yeah. I have a hard issue with that, right? Because people, it's, um, they just make everything sound better than it really is. You know what I mean? Yeah, every, I mean, everybody really does that. Mm-hmm. Or there are a few people that make things sound worse than they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything is, like, so dramatic and everything. I'm like, <laughs> like, just be a real person. Yeah. So, it's just... So, which I used to be, like, super into social media and everything when it was coming, like, I mean, uh, the MySpace days. I'm 37 now, so. <laughs> oh, good old MySpace. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, like, I used to be really into it, and um, now it's, it's some, you know, I stay involved with it. Um, I've got to run my the company I work for's Facebook page now, but, um, you know, it's also not something that I overly obsess about as much now yeah i say that but then i i annoy my girlfriend <laughs> like like oh just crossed 150 likes in the last in two hours like i'm trending so hard babe <laughs> like, shut up <laughs> hey we're going big we're going big yeah you oh that's funny dude but, huh. all right folks until next time. All right, cool. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.